0: Welcome to Cooper Talk, presented by Walk My Mind. Bring your body, bring your mind. This is Walk My Mind. It's a holistic approach to wellness that connects the dots of physical, mental, and emotional health. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm your host, and I'm only as hip as my guest, and uh, we we have a great show. I just see you today we have a great show. He's a um he's one of the co-founders and is an original member of a legendary band. Who you know when you look at it, they've been around since like 1982. That's when I graduated high school, and I'm like, man. That's, that's, that's really good. I mean, I'm not even friends with people from when I graduated high school that long, but my guest is Michael Wilton. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on your show. Oh yeah, it's great, man. You know, it's funny. I was just, you know, doing some research about you and your band. I mean, first of all, what got you in to music? What was your starting point when you started to play? What age And did you think you would ever this much longer have a band and this all the
1: success? Uh, First and foremost, my father uh, had a great, vast, diverse record collection that I was always around, so I was always around all types of music, uh, preferably rock, jazz, folk, pop, um, to name a few. So that was uh, how I got ingrained with... uh, the 60s and 70s music and then um you know in school formulative years it was just about playing bass and playing guitar and experimenting being in garage bands and hanging out with other guitar players to learn what uh what they had learned and then you showed them what you had learned and you know that's kind of how you did it back in those days there was no uh internet there was no ways to uh you know Figure out things other than hard work and using your ear to uh, rebuild your influences in your mind to become a guitar player.
0: Now, what gravitated you towards bass at first? Because you know, it's always you know you always think when you're young. Like my brother played the drums for some reason. Me, I played the saxophone. I think I don't know why. But mm. but sometimes you know when what gravitated you towards the bass? Because if I was a kid and I was going to play, I think I would just pick up a regular guitar.
1: Well, I had uh, an uncle who tragically died in a motorcycle accident, and uh, that was back when I was in uh, California, in the San Francisco, Oakland area. And um, I always loved looking at his amplifiers as a kid. And um, so when I moved up to Seattle and got older, you know, I inherited his bass and his uh, amplifier, and that's how I got started. So I started playing bass in garage bands, but you know, as, uh, you got into bands like Led Zeppelin and then Van Halen hit the scene, everybody wanted to play guitar, including me. <laughs> <laughs> so I switched over and, uh, got myself a mail, mail order, Les Paul guitar that weighed, uh, you know, 50 pounds. And <clears throat> that's what I started on, you know, and I just gravitated a lot of wood shedding and learning. And, you know, it was a uh, quite a process.
0: Now I read also in high school though, you were, you were a very good musician, right? I mean, a a very good athlete, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up, you know, my parents always put me in team sports and, uh, you know, so I played, uh, baseball, football, soccer, basketball. And so they wanted me to, to learn, you know, how to, uh, just, you know, manage yourself with other kids and, and, uh, be competitive and be the best and learn good sportsmanship. So that's kind of how I was brought up. So, um, you know, I had some natural abilities, you know, in baseball and stuff. So I, I did that in my, uh, uh junior high years as well as a uh, little league football. And so that was kind of the, the thing, you know, and I played it, uh, played it up till, uh, I was in high school and, uh, you know, Then I switched to music, um, went to a Black Sabbath concert and saw Van Halen opening, and I saw Eddie Van Halen for the first time, um, and it blew me away, and I decided I think I'm going to try that instead of going in a career in sports.
0: It's amazing, you know, people that, you know, saw Eddie Van and who played music. I mean, I remember seeing him in the jump tour, but it's amazing. So many people, they say that just changed how it looked at guitars. I mean, it just it changed the scene. Like when you saw him, well, what did the feeling you get? You just said, I want to do that. Or did you say, I don't know if I can be that good, but I'm, I'm going to strive for it. Or I mean, what goes, what goes through your mind that just caught you so much with that?
1: I just, I just, you know, instantly it was like a magnet, you know, it was just the energy of the band um, david lee roth jumping all over the place and just you know they were so animated and running around the stage and just i've never seen anything like that and it just really hit me hard just said i want to do that so um so that's that's kind of it just you know as a kid you're very impressionable and that's what really gravitated me i <laughs> just i was blown away
0: Now, then what do you decide, like, when do you decide that this is going to be your career? I mean, and and it's funny because, you know, you mentioned the internet earlier, and I always laugh now because, you know, if you want to join a band, you know, you just go on Craigslist. I know back then it was you had to actually get out there and meet people or there might be something in papers. But what was your steps to putting a band together, and, and were you sitting there in your head at a young age saying, this is what I'm going to do for my
1: life? Well, it it wasn't calculated, you know, it was haphazardly put together, I guess. (laughs) And it was a lot of it was uh, timing and by chance, you know, and you just run into people and start jamming and then um, you move on and you you just refine what you do. And then eventually uh, I got, you know, playing with uh, some good players and then, you know, you just keep taking it to the next level. That's all you can do. You can't just say, this is what I'm going to do all my life, you know, but, um, you just want to take what you have and, and, uh, go with it and build it and just keep going. And then, uh, you never know the outcome, right? We didn't know the outcome.
0: Right now. So,
1: that, um, but it's just when you, when you get a chance, you know, you get an opportunity, you grab it, you know, and, and take it to the limit. And that's kind of what we did. So
0: now you went, you went to a music school after high school, right? Yeah.
1: Right, I went to a music school in Seattle called the Cornish Institute of Allied Arts. I went there for a year and a half, you know, studied classical guitar, jazz piano, gamelan music, um, you know, just all, all kinds of music theory. Uh, and, you know, that that really got me into uh, um, more of the true alternative uh, playing of instruments and, and guitar, you know. But I was a kid, so I was into the... the the heavy metal that was coming from Europe, you know, so that's kind of, that was the cool thing to do, and that's, you know, where all the the guitar players went. So that's kind of what, you know, drove me to that direction, you know, and uh, um, you know, I ran out of money, obviously, because it was an expensive accredited college, and uh, met some guys, you know, at a keger in the fields, of where Microsoft is right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I love, I love those stories. Like, you know, you think of like back then, it's just some random place where you're, you're hanging out. And now it's like a corporation.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so that, that's kind of what it is. And then, you know, life is moving fast at that point And it's just, uh, you know, and it's people, uh, started liking, you know, what we were doing and, and it just kind of just grew and it's, Something that um, it was fun, you know. It was fun being with a, a bunch of guys that you really enjoyed being with and hanging out with. So, um, you know, if you could make a, a job out of it, that's cool. I mean, I had my regular jobs as well. And um, but when all of a sudden, you know, your your first EP gets picked up on radio, sells sixty thousand units, and uh, you know you're you're opening up for Zebra, and then quiet riot you know and then twisted sister i mean it's you're, you're as a as a 20 and 21 year old you know you're you're just swept off your feet and you're just along for the ride so um and it's it's a lot of it you know is timing i mean back then in the seattle area it was all pretty much pop music and uh we wanted to do the metal thing you know and it, when i quit my job i mean they had the radio on. I said, you know, hey, that's my band. And they, no one believed me. They go, no, that's a <laughs> European band.
0: What is that like when you hear yeah. your song? I mean, you must just be like going crazy. I mean, that must be the best feeling.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, it is. I mean, you're, 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 you know, you're listening to it. And you, you don't want to be, you know, too much of a goon, right? But you just want to <laughs> just kind of smile and go, that's me. <laughs> and it's like, it, it's uh, it's great. It's a confidence Builder, after you start hearing it a few times you know, kind of that effect wears off, but it's uh, you know, a 20 year old hearing yourself on a national radio station,
0: it's wow <laughs> I know, I could imagine now you you, know, you said you opened for Zebra and Quiet Riot had the band, Have you been getting a lot of, state doing a lot of shows before that, had you been hitting the bar scene or whatever, or was that all of a sudden because you had a good selling album they put you on a tour of these people, and what was yeah. that like when you hit the, the stage for a very big audience that, you know, back then those bands were all very, very popular. It must've been a, a great feeling. They must've been packed houses.
1: Yeah. I mean, we kind of, you know, jumped into the big leagues. I mean, previously we were playing other people's music and then we wrote four or five songs in the studio, put it out on an EP. And then, you know, then this all happened we had to, uh, uh, you know, learn more songs and write more songs so that we could tour. Um, so, yeah, it was it was uh, uh, jumping into the deep end, you know, with your eyes closed. It was it was pretty amazing and nerve-wracking at the same time.
0: Now, how long of the sets were you playing when you would go out on the road when you first started out? Were they, like, 30-minute sets? or I mean, and how did you guys, you know, build those sets up?
1: Oh, it, it depends. I mean, um, you know, a lot of some of the, the shows where you're, like, third on the bill – you know, you get thirty five minutes and uh and then other shows, you know, it's like forty five and then when you're co headlining it's you know sixty minutes and it's just a bunch of different variations and it's it's all it's all based, you know, show by show and who you're opening for.
0: Now who came up with the name of the band, right Who who came up who was the person who made that name?
1: Uh my longtime buddy uh Chris DeGarmo. Um you know he kinda had some some bad dreams, I guess, and uh came up with this this name and uh we spelled it pretty wacky you know and uh that kind of that kind of worked it just uh you know it's constantly i mean even to this day we're explaining it you know so at least these people are interested in it. <laughs>
0: Now the record company, how did they react when the name? Because I know a lot of times record companies try to change a band's name. Did they sit there and go, "Well, it's got whatever those the two little dots above the Y? I I mean, what was their reaction? They just said, "Hey, who cares? They're, they're they're a good band."
1: You know, it's it's well, that's kind of management. You know, you try and keep their creative people away from you. You know, it's more about letting the band do what they're good at and. Um, it's It's about the music so much you know it's like the name had already kind of been established it had been in magazines it had been on radio, so it's like why would you change it so um, but yeah it's it's just a matter of uh you know sticking to your guns and and playing what you want and and not being you know too influenced by the record companies
0: now, how did you? figure what kind of songs you would play i know like in 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 you know they say operation mind crime is just like a a legendary album and that was an early album how did how do you figure out you know how did you figure out the the sound you were going to have was it a collaborative effort or did did you all sit there and say you know we want to sound like this and what would you have considered would you have considered that heavy metal or or progressive what would you have considered your sound
1: I think, you know, it's a lot of it is just experience, you know, seeing how crowds react and uh, seeing the vibe a song portrays live. And then that's kind of uh, part of the reason that you, you know, you're touring so much, seeing which songs are are grabbing people. And that's in the early days, you know, and those are the songs. Actually, you know, we're playing a lot of them still today. And uh, it's, it's, you know. I think everybody has input for different reasons. Um, but, uh, you know, we were, we were billed as kind of like a, you know, a hard rock band with elements of metal and progressive music. And it was, um, you know, a, a bit unique. Um, we weren't really a cookie cutter band, um, we were just kind of this unique band from Seattle that uh, people uh, really enjoyed.
0: Now, you guys got
1: nominated for been uh,
0: nominated for Grammys over your years. But when, you're, when your first albums came out, what is it like when they start really doing well and you start getting that, you know, acclaim? I mean, you know, because you guys were all young. I mean, it's not, you know, in 88, you guys were young guys. I mean, how do you keep your head on straight? I mean, just as you said, you know, you hear the song on the radio the first time. But when you start getting critical acclaim and people are giving good reviews, what goes through with... A guy your age at that point? I mean, you're probably at 25 or 26 when this album started doing, you know, the first albums and started
1: doing really well? Um, you know, like I said before, it's more of just going with the flow and, and you know, riding the wave. Uh, it's, um, you know, like like any innovative company or, or innovative band, you know, we wanted to always outdo ourselves and, and constantly be working and and if we weren't uh writing an album we were touring the world i mean we toured our asses off when we were really young and uh, you know that's how i think you know we built a lot of uh, fans and you know to this day we still have a, a huge following and it's kind of you know sweat equity <laughs> it's um something that has to be earned and uh, you know and if You can pull off your music live really well and play your instruments and put on a good show. You know, you have a good chance of, uh, you know, succeeding.
0: Now, when you were touring back then, I mean, does it become grueling? I mean, you know, you're young and, you know, we all want to, you know, we think we can, we're invincible. But what is it like when you're sitting there and you pretty much would have like a show every night? And and did you enjoy touring overseas? And was it the first time you were overseas when you guys actually toured?
1: Um, well, when you're in your twenties, you know you're kind of invincible, so um, there's nothing that you can't do. <laughs> there's no limitations when you're that age. Um, so we a- anything that was offered to us, you know, no problem. We had uh, um, you know great, great opportunities to, to go to Europe and, and tour, tour you know all year round when you're in your twenties, that's a good time to do it.
0: <laughs> I know I can imagine it must've been great. I mean, now were you touring in buses or how did, how would you tour back then? Did you, you know, were you flying from city to city? Or were you touring your buses? And what's, what's life like when you're a young guy on a tour bus? Is it, does it get monotonous or, I mean, what is
1: that like? Um, when we first got our first tour bus, it was, you know, like kids in a candy store. It was, it was pretty awesome. And, uh, um, you know, we, in Europe, we went over there and we were in vans and <laughs> that was pretty crazy. Um, so, but it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a means of, uh, getting to the gig and playing, you know, and it's just, uh, transportation. So you don't have to do hotels and things like that. And it's, you know, you, you learn the rules of the road, basically, you know, you get to start, get seasoned, that seasoned bat at an early age. And, uh, um, and, you know, you, you learn how things are done. So, um, and with that you know it's it's back in those days it was everything was kind of affordable you know not like it is now so it's uh, it was just a, a different animal at that time in our, our career
0: now as you're playing and after that first album came out what was it like when you had to record your second album did you feel pressured because you know your first album was successful then you're coming out to do a follow-up what goes through a musician's mind I mean and the band is there is there that Pressure on you, or are you sitting there going, as you seem like you're very laid back and you take things as they come? Did you guys, or did you guys just figure out that you would just let it see what happens? And, and what was it like when you're in the studio following up? Because I just watched that show on Jimmy Iovine, uh on HBO and they showed how he was just, you know, he's very meticulous. Like people would be doing, you know, a hundred takes of songs. What was it like when you guys had to follow up a, a, a successful first album? What goes through a band's mind? And plus, because you're young, once again, we have no fear what was going through the minds of the guys
1: you know it's we're uh constantly working and and coming up with riffs and song ideas lyrics poems all all that stuff you know and it's a um it's just it's all about being a band you know you you get together and you just write the songs and you know you and you just got to believe in the songs you know if you're if you're writing you know, for a record company or anything. And it's, uh, you just, you just got to believe in what you're doing and, and, uh, you know, make, make sure your, your stuff is tight and it's, it's happening. And, you know, once you get everybody wanting to hear it, you know, it's like, okay, just, just let us do what we want. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's what we did. You know, we just wanted to, basically evolve from each album and not be too progressive, not be too experimental, but, you know, be melodic and be powerful.
0: Now, when did you start headlining your tours? You know, you were touring open for people. At what point in your career did you guys start headlining a tour? And and do you remember the first gig that you guys headlined on a, on a big, you
1: know, a
0: big stage?
1: Um, well, we first started headlining, you know, on our warning album. I mean, we, we had different countries, you, you're contracted to come play and headline a bunch of shows. And, and we, we put out a video uh, live in Tokyo. Um, and, uh, you know, we were, we were playing uh, clubs, basically, and we were headlining. So those, uh, um, not until the uh, empire days did we start headlining you know the big arenas and coliseums
0: and that must be a great feeling i mean when you when you see your name on the up high it must be one of those feelings once again like hearing it on the radio it must be like oh wow we're doing something right
1: yeah i mean it's uh you know you're always taking pictures and sending you know pictures to your parents and it's like look at look at you know there's our name top of the bill boom thank you. You know, it's, it's great. But, um, uh, you know, now it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's so synonymous with the times, you know, it's just like, it's, it's all about the name. It's all about, you know, how your name looks on the advertisements or on the t-shirts or, or, you know, it's, um, so, I mean, it's, it's really, uh, it's really important, you know, to,
0: to build that and uh, you know, take advantage of it. You gotta tell me about Tokyo and playing in Japan, because I've heard the fans over there are just the most insane. They're so great. I mean, what was it like for you guys to play over there? Because a lot of bands I talked to, they're like, this is before internet. They didn't even know how, like, you knew what train station they were coming in, but people would be packed. I mean, what was your, what was your reactions? How did you, what were their reactions to you guys when you came and you still go?
1: Oh, it was, uh, it was crazy for us. I mean, they, they were awaiting, you know, at the uh, Narita Airport. <laughs> they had gifts and, uh, um, you know, and followed us to the hotels. And it was, uh, you know, it was like, wow, this is pretty crazy, That's it's cool, you know. And uh, when we did our, our first tour there, it was, it was great. You know, the, the fans, they, they listen but, and they're very respectful. And then when the song's over, they, they go crazy, you know, and it's, but, uh, um, you know, it was quite different than the, than the U.S. crowds, and, um, but, you know, we loved it.
0: Now, I, I grew up near Philadelphia, did you ever play in Philly at the Spectrum, but in that old, that old great place that is now gone?
1: Oh, yeah, we've played the Philly Spectrum a few times, um, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, we, we we've played a lot of venues. <laughs> I mean, doing this over thirty years, we've played a lot of venues. A lot of them have come and gone, and a lot of them are, are still there. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, um, you know to to think of all the places you've played, it's like, come on, give me a break. You know, it's like we've played so many places, it's ridiculous
0: who do you think are some of the best crowds i also heard uh down in uh south south america the crowd's supposed to be pretty amazing too
1: but what i will say about the south american crowds is that the fans are so passionate they're so passionate about the music um it's it's really amazing they 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 really uh uh you know when they go to the sh- the show i think they're they're there for the music it's not about they're not looking around to see who else is at the show, you know, what friends are there or anything like that. It's a, it's a, it's a very, uh, uh, you know, great audience to play.
0: Now, you've been with the band since the beginning, and some people have left there in time. What happens when someone leaves from a band? I mean, I know uh, Chris Degamo left. I mean, what, what causes that, and what does that do when, you know, you guys are a band? Is it something that, can you still be friends with someone when they leave a band, or how does that work? Because I think, you know, and then bringing someone also new into the band, because there must be such a trust as bandmates that you guys must have. How do you, when someone leaves, how do you rebound from that?
1: You know how does how does any other business rebound? How does a football team rebound when they lose somebody? You know it's it's you have to you know it's a business, right? You got to proceed you know the best you can and uh, um, you know Chris and I were friends in high school. We're still friends. You know we we our families still hang out. And I golf with him all the time. So um, you know, and it's just a matter of uh, when somebody else. Leaves, you know, you gotta do the best you can and, and find somebody that is uh, that works with you as a musician and also works with you as a uh, human being. And uh, not an easy task either. You know, it took a few albums before uh, you know I found somebody that can play guitar with me, you know, the way it should be. So. Um, but yeah, it's 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 like any other any other situation where you you know you gotta you gotta get a team you know every, everything's gotta be uh, everything's gotta be right the chemistry's gotta be right everybody's gotta be clicking you know you can't have some people that are in it for other alternative reasons or or just want to do it for a while you know it's it's there's a lot that goes into it there's no uh, quick how to do it or a quick recipe on on how to get the right personnel in in their business.
0: Now, when the, the music climate started changing, what do you think was the reason you stayed popular? I mean, you know, like, whenever it says, like, when metal and started coming then grunge and then it was a seattle scene and you were a seattle band i mean what you know what what do you think is the reason you guys had lasting power was it your dedicated fans was it all those you know when you guys were on the road just putting on good shows i mean what what was it that you know a lot of bands got very frustrated in, but you guys kept putting out music what what kept you guys hips per se
1: um i i don't think where we were hip i think it's it's uh you know we've always been kind of a unique band and uh um i don't know we're not really included in many trends so i think you know we didn't we didn't fit in that so uh we just kept doing what we were doing i think um what was happening you know more so was just kind of uh technology was starting to change and uh record companies were were changing and And uh, going out of business, and that's kind of, uh, I don't know, that that took more precedent than, you know, a a trend or a fashion trend or anything like that. Um, You know, for us, it's just, you you know, we've got our tight circle, you know, and we just concentrate on what we do good and don't let outside uh, chatter bother us.
0: Now, how do you think the music business has changed over the years? Because everyone, you know, says it's changed so much. And then, you know, even the video world has changed because they really don't do videos anymore. How how has it seen you seen a change, and has it affected you that much? The your the way you put an album out now. I mean, how what has happened? Oh, it's
1: it's constantly changing. You know, it's <clears throat> you know, you've gone from albums to CDs, and now it's it's MP3s and downloads and, and uh you know it's um streaming uh you know it's just it's just every year it's something new so all you can do is just adapt you know adapt with the changes as best you can and and uh, you know with uh, the internet you know you can do so much so it's a matter of uh you know putting putting the hours in and and making sure, uh, you know, all your marketing and your advertising is, is getting out there. And, um, and, uh, you know, nobody, nobody knows what what's on everybody's coffee table. So it's, you just gotta, uh, get the best sources, you know, to, to market yourself and advertise as possible.
0: Now, you guys have had a best-of album. How do you decide what really? songs goes on a best-of album? Because I always sit there, you know, it used to be you'd get a best-of album, and you'd be like, all right, you know, you know what, Then then some song would to be on. How did you guys decide what goes on a best-of album? Do you just sit there and go, you know, do you take personal favorites, or do you just sit there and go, well, these ones sold well? How do you decide a line up on that?
1: Well, I mean, that's... Um... It's, you, you have partial involvement but a lot of it is the record company and obviously they're there to sell CDs so they want to put the the songs that have been played the most and that were the the big hits that had videos you know so uh, it's a big compromise um, of course you know once once you leave a record label and go to another record label the old record label puts out all kinds of greatest hits you know that were uh, they still had access to their their publishing <laughs> so it's um, you know there's best of greatest hits it's uh it's kind of crazy but you do what you can do you know to to keep your name out there
0: now you said uh you 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 still golf with your one friend when did you start taking golfing when, when did, did you start talking that when you're on the road or is it just because it's a, is it relaxing or when did you start to play golf
1: Uh i i started playing when i was young you know i was a, um you know i did all the uh the other uh team sports but you know golf was more i i hacked my way you know and then eventually when you get older you get a little more refined in the game and um so it's it's just something i've always done i used to ski as well you know i don't i don't ski as much anymore um in fact i don't think i skied in like five or six years but it's uh you know life life gets pretty busy and complicated so it's like some of those hobbies have to go by the wayside.
0: Now, over the years of recording, what would you say your two favorite albums of your collection are and why?
1: Um, I've always said that, uh, I think Rage for Order was a, was a great album that really, uh, where the band was really clicking on all cylinders and, and, uh, really stretching the envelope during, uh, the eighties there, you know, it was, uh, a lot of, uh, um, experimentation and, and uh, you know, different ideas, and it was just something that really uh, took Queensryche out of the, the kind of the, uh, the heavy metal thing. And then, um, you know, that Rage and uh, Mind Crime Empire and Promised Land, I mean, those were, were uh, great albums, and they it was a great run of uh, uh, albums that, you know, I still listen to today and I respect very much.
0: Now, I know earlier in your career, you guys also, you worked with a uh, producer who worked with Pink Floyd, I believe. What, uh, what's that like to work with someone like who's worked with a legend? I mean, it must be insane because Pink Floyd is legendary.
1: Yeah, that was uh, James Guthrie. Yeah. And, and uh, that was on the, the Warning album. And, you know, he was amazing. You know, he's... He showed us so many uh, new ways of uh, recording and um, techniques and, and, uh, um, you know, of course, he had just come off working on The Wall uh, by Pig Floyd (laughs) and, um, you know, it was was just someone that was great, Um, great to work with and, you know. Very uh, courteous, you know, consummate professional.
0: Now, also in your career, you guys did a cover album. What, how did you pick the songs for that? And that must be, as a musician, that must be fun because you probably put your own interpretation on them.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, there was, you know, everybody kind of picked a song or a couple songs and, uh, you know, did their best on it. It was experimental. It was, uh, you know, it's, it turned out okay and a lot of it was uh, um, i don't know the bottom line is you know the fans want to hear more queensreich songs not other uh, doing other people's songs you know so um, but you know it was it was done to just say we've done it i guess
0: what song did you pick
1: well, i liked uh, neon nights the black sabbath song I think that
0: rocks. Now, what are some, like, what is some of the music you listen to, like, now? Like, I mean, I, I my girlfriend always gives me a hard time because I still listen to classic rock and, the, you know, the, the new wave I listen to and, you know, and some Seattle stuff. She's like, you don't listen to anything past the year 2000 or unless it's a, <laughs> unless it's a band that I've followed. You know what I mean? What do you constantly, do you look out for new music or do you just sit there because you're in music? Do you sit there, like, where some of us just love to listen to music all the time I would guess if you're in that's your profession, musician. Do you sit there and go, oh, "I do this all the time"? I don't feel like listen to this stuff, or, or or what are some bands you like? I mean, of, of the classic bands who, who who you still listen to today and you love, and there are there any new bands you're finding?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm I like you. I constantly, you know, have my favorites from days ago. <laughs> um, I always listen to that. I listen to classic rock. I listen to. You know, modern rock and all kinds of different formats. Um, and then, as far as new new stuff, I've got a few bands that that I like. I like uh, Mastodon; they're really cool. I like uh, the band uh, Gojira; they're really cool. Um, and you know, it's just like I just try and uh, you know keep my ears open for releases. You know, I. Someone told me uh, the the new Deep Purple album's really cool, so I'm gonna probably check that out. Um, so, yeah, I just uh, it's kind of whatever's available at at any moment, you know. If I if I'm able to listen to music, you know, try and hopefully hear something new that catches my ear.
0: Now, when you were you said earlier when you were younger, you listened to your your dad had a great record collection, and who are some of the people that you've met since you're in your career that were ones that really blew you away? I mean, I'm sure you've met so you meet so many musicians. Your guys are a very popular band. You toured with people, but is there any people that you met that you were like, "Oh my god, that's you know"? If it's you know, that's Mick Jagger, or that's you know, David Lee Rotham. Who who have you met that you went, "Wow, man, this 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 is pretty cool"? Like you were like a kid going, "This is cool stuff."
1: Um. Well, there's lots of them. I mean. I've met Jimmy Page. I've met Eddie Van Halen. I've met Carlos Santana. You know, I've met David Gilmour. I've met Steve Morse. You know, all all really amazing guitar players. And and uh, um, you know, we just did a tour with uh, um, and did a few shows with Blueyster called. You know, Buck Dharma. Uh, he's, a, he's a great, great guy, you know, and I got to hang out with him. He's a little guy. But he's, there, he's... But there's, you know, there's so many that, you know, that that I've run, run into over the years. Uh, I can't remember them all, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's always great to, you know, talk to uh, your peers and, and hopefully they have good things to say about you.
0: <laughs> now, how did you get the nickname Whip? Like, my nickname's Coop, but my last name's Cooper, so it makes sense. How did did the nickname Whip come about?
1: Um, It came about when I was young. Um, I used to hang out with all my friends that that played guitar. You know, we'd be in a room showing each other licks and stuff, and one kid said, you really whip on the guitar. And, you know, and then that same group of kids, we were at a party, and he yelled across the room, and he just called me whip and then all of a sudden who's whip you know and then just became a nickname you know it's stuck with me all these years um, but that that's why you know it because I whipped on the guitar
0: <laughs> see that's cool now now you also know there's a whip ale how did that come about have you been a beer drinker all your life or were you did you brew or it
1: was, you? It was uh, you know a promotional um, item that popped up and uh, I had you know, a couple of beers that I really liked, um, as far as flavor wise and everything. And, and, uh, I came up with my own recipe and got a brewery to, uh, you know, to produce it. And that started, I believe in 2009, 2010. Um, and it's, you know, it's craft beer and, uh, um, it's a pale ale that American pale ale that, that, uh, that I've really liked, you know, it's had different incantations over the years. And, um, uh, you know, distribution is, is pretty tough in the beer business. And, uh, um, but you know, now I've, I've got it available by mail. I can get it to like, you know, over 30 States, I think right now. So, um, the, uh, the, the male is being a little more kind for beer, you know, still doesn't not as uh, kind as shipping wine, but shipping beer is getting easier.
0: Well, I I like the fact that it's a pale ale, but I, I've been, i I've been trying to drink some of these uh, IPAs, but they're so high in alcohol level, they're like eight or nine percent, and you can drink like two, and you're like, well, I can't drive now. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly, you know, and, and whip ale is like a little over five percent, I think mean, it's... 5.3, and we, we toned it down a bit. It used to be, you know, 7 or 8%, and it was like, well, you don't sell very many of those because they can only drink one, you know, and it's... Um, but now it's, uh, I mean, it's... I get a lot of compliments, and Whip Bale's gotten some good reviews, you know? Um, but like I said, the, the beer business is pretty cutthroat.
0: Yeah, you can <laughs> so. imagine. Now, how did you decide what would be the ingredients? I mean, did you take any brewing classes, or you just, you know, you... you you found some barley hops or yeast or, or what happened because it's very, when people, I know someone just opened up a brewery near me and it's, a, it's the brewers are very into it and there's all, like there's such a language of hops and all this stuff that I've never heard of. How did you decide on that, the ingredient list? And I mean, it's just, it's it must be fascinating to come from just an idea on paper to seeing it in cans and being shipped. Yeah, it's,
1: um, well, you know, I, I think found the, uh, ingredients and recipes of my favorite beers and just started researching, you know, the hops, found out the hops are actually, you know, made in Washington state, you know, on the Eastern side. And, uh, so, you know, I got the, uh, the Simcoe hops and different grains and cascade hops. And, and uh, um, and then, you know, as, as, uh, Time evolved, you know, different hops are being grown and and that have the same flavor as, you know, some of the other ones. And I was, uh, I was in Europe on a a cruise and this guy had his own beer and um, I asked him where he got his hops from and he said, "Uh, Washington State. (laughs) And I go, you're kidding, you know, you don't use your great Bavarian 20 foot tall you know, hop trees in in, in Germany. And he says, "No,
0: that's like, that's a good that's, thing, though. That's, that's that's good for you. Like, oh my God, it's right in my backyard. I never even knew it.
1: Right, you know, and a, a lot of so what, what happens is, you know, the the, the the hops and the grains they get depleted. You know, depending on the year and what kind of weather there is. You know, so um, so, but it's uh, it was just a matter of you know seeing what my favorite beer's ingredients were, and then just kind of make it my own thing.
0: Now, you know, with the band, you know, your lead singer left in uh, 2012, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. What was, I mean, it, it, I read some things and it seems like, you know, him and his wife were trying to run the band and his daughter. What is that like, though, when you're getting rid of a front man? Because, you know, it's something that people... You know, you guys are you and him are probably what people remember, and I mean because your fans around forever. But what is that like? And then how did and then how do you come up with the name Raising West when you went for a while with that?
1: Um, yeah, it's just you know, you have a good stretch of albums, and then things kind of get stale. You know, it's like you need something new to to spark the creativity and to spark uh, a band that uh, wants to write again as a band, and that's kind of what we did. Um, we did a couple shows as Rising West and, and got signed, you know, kind of like what we did with the, uh, the EP, um, there was such a rush for, uh, uh, what everybody wanted to hear. They were hearing the songs they wanted to hear. And, and um, you know, you just got the new, uh, supercharged vocalist that just brought it and was just killing it, you know, and it was, uh, um, it took some time, you know, to, to rebuild it. But, you know, now we're established and we're a happy camp. And uh, everybody's, uh, uh, you know, accepted Todd as as uh, the lead vocalist of Queensryche.
0: Now, how did the fans react in the beginning? Because I know uh, Ray Lazier told me when he joined Corn, you know, people were, give you a hard time because you're used to it's like anything. You know, if you sit there and you're eating a diet and then all of a sudden you start switch to gluten-free you know you're going to be you're going to be a little lost how did the fans react in the beginning and did they really encompass and, and, and be friendly to your the new singer
1: um well you know obviously it's, there's confusion you know you know and especially when you have such passionate fans and uh um so you know it was a process we had to rebuild the name we had to rebuild the band and um People are coming out of the woodworks that haven't seen the band in years, you know, since like the '90s. um, You know, come out and they just go, "Wow, love the band! Sounds great! Played all the songs I wanted to hear." You know, it's, uh, um, you know, basically you got to prove yourself with every show because there's always people that are going to be skeptical, and then, um, but when they they leave the show, you know, they're smiling.
0: Now, your fan base is great. I mean, it's just, now you must also see, and I talk to bands that have been around for a long time, you must see fans that come with their kids or even sometimes their grandkids, you know, because people pass down music, you know, just like you listen to your father's records. You know, I listen to, you know, my older brother's records. Um, What is that like? What is that feeling for someone, you know, when you sit there and and you're you're like, man, that must be like a mother and a daughter. That must be just a really fascinating feeling because it means you've, you're touching generations and not just one generation You're touching, you know,
1: generations. Right. Exactly. You know, and that's, that's kind of what happens when you're in a band for over 30 years, you know, it's, uh, um, fans that have, uh, been with you, obviously, you know, they, they have children and bring their fan, their kids and their kids. And it's just kind of a reciprocal thing that just keeps happening. Um, you know, the band is, uh, it's generating a lot of younger, new fans, and um, that's really exciting for us. They're checking it out, and um, you know, it's, it's just—it's—it's it's amazing. You know, when you when you see people, and they're, it's like they got, they pull up their sleeve, and they've got you know our Tri Reich symbol, and uh, it's like yes, you know, <laughs> it's I, dedication.
0: That must be like the—that must be honestly one of the coolest things that when someone goes and gets a tat. You know what I mean? Of your band. You must sit there. That that's like a compliment, because that means, you know, that, that's that's forever, that tat. So that must be a, it, a quite a good feeling.
1: It is, you know, and it's you know, hopefully um, it's not a creepy thing, but it's like <laughs> um you know, I I don't have many t- tattoos, but uh in fact I only have one. Um but our our other guitar player, Parker Lundgren, he's, he's got, you know, two sleeves, his back, his front, his, and a part of his neck, and he's, he's, he loves tattooing. Um, so, it's, that again, you know, it's, it's almost a hobby, you know, it's just, it's, uh, people love doing it.
0: Now, through your years with the band, you've also done a few side projects. How did you, how do you pick a side project you do, and is it just something for you to go express yourself in a different way?
1: Yeah, I think you know. There's obviously a lot of reasons to do a solo act. You know, you, you just want to you know try a different chemistry and see how it works, and um, you know get uh, uh, diversity, like in your songwriting. You know, make make your uh solo albums different than your main band. And it's uh it's a lot of fun. I mean it's it's enriching and, and uh um playing with other players, you know, it's it's different when you have, you know, such a solid band and then you gotta play with other guys that are a little different. Um it's it's fun. It's just uh you know, getting the right people at the right time to, to, to do it, you know, and it's 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 a lot
0: of fun. Now, what's the future of Queensrÿ? Right? Are you going to put some more albums out? Um, do, do you, is the writing style changed? Do you always try to look for a different way to go? Or, I mean, how do you write now? Because you've been around for so long, and your group, you know, has a sound. How do you guys figure out? You know, it must be a, a, a complex process when you sit there and go, okay, well. We want to sound this. I mean, how does it when you've been around for so long? Do you keep it fresh? Or I mean, what happens? What's the writing process now? Because you've had such success and such a huge following, and you have your fans that are devout fans. But you know, sometimes you can be the biggest fan, and someone puts out something that you don't really like. Everyone bitches because everyone bitches about everything these days. How do you guys like constantly come up with new material?
1: I mean, there's there's no there's no end of original content. You know, at least for me. I mean, it's just it's part of my nature i just i just hear this stuff in my head you know I, I can hear it from sometimes i wake up from a dream with a with a melody in my head you know and it's i try and get to my dictaphone or anything you know or my phone and record it before i forget it and, but um uh, yeah it's just uh you know it, it's you know experiencing life you know it just brings out different different music in in my mind and i just um I don't know. I just I just do what I do, man. I don't I don't like uh, trying to describe what I do because it doesn't sound right. Um, But uh, just kind of. You know, I, I get out of the way. You know, I just kind of let it happen. That's what
0: I do. Now, how do you still at this, I mean, you know, we all get older. and you know, I've had some health problems in the past. And you guys play long sets. How do you, do you have like a pre-show ritual? I mean, how do you guys keep in shape and you get to be able to play? I mean, it's something that must be crazy because you're, it is, it has to be somewhat of a grind, even though you're traveling nicely. I mean, is there a, a ritual you do before your show? Do you exercise or do anything or or anything of like that, or has your habits changed in the road over the years?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, as you get older, obviously you want to take care of yourself, and uh, you know, not be burned out all the time. So, obviously, you try and eat as healthy as you can. And um, for me, as a guitar player, you know, I, I stretch the tendons in my arms, and um, just do normal uh, warm up, uh, review songs. And that's about it. Yeah. You know? Go out and have a good show and bring it. You know, it's, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, um, you know, it's, you know, I'm not 20, 21 anymore, right? Right. <laughs> I, I, I uh, remember, uh, we were playing in Seattle and I jumped off the jump, drum stage, you know, and then kind of landed on my knee, funny. And, um, uh, I figure, oh, I'm all right, you know, so I'm walking around, and it's like, it's a pain that didn't go away, you know, so I had to go have it looked at, and it's like, oh, yeah, you tore your meniscus. I go, really? He goes, yeah, were you doing something stupid? I go, (laughs) yeah, probably.
0: (laughs) Um, So the touring, you, you guys are, you're still touring, um, how often do you like to go out now? Has it changed? I mean, do you want to? Do you just go for limited engagements, or how do you
1: tour now? Um, I don't know. I think probably the uh, the perfect year of touring is probably about seventy five shows. Um, I mean, last year we I think we did close to a hundred. It's pretty brutal, um, but uh, you know, it's just you know when you have the opportunities, you take it. So, I think uh, you know you don't want to burn yourself out and, and uh, cause injuries, you know, and and so uh, I think right around that 70, 75, I think is for for a band that's been around thirty five years is is kind of right in the ballpark.
0: So I also read before we go. I also read that uh, you are a guitar collector.
1: Um, You know, I I collected a lot of uh, vintage guitars and amps in the early 90s, you know, and I've used some of them on on albums and other, uh, uh, you know, just like, I've pretty much, you know, haven't used them in a while, so maybe I want to, you know, sell them and get something different, and it's like, I'm constantly, uh, trading and, and, uh, doing, you know, getting, uh, different amps and guitars that I want. Um, but yeah, I've, I've accumulated quite a, quite a collection of guitars. A lot of, I've been, I've been with ESP guitars for, you know,
0: years. How how many, how many do you think you have is like in your place and where do you keep all these guitars?
1: Um, they're just stacked up in a room, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Like, do you have
0: hundreds? Are we talking
1: like hundreds? Uh, you know, close to a hundred. Wow! I think I've got um, at my place. You know, about seventy or seventy-five right now. That's I've got awesome. Others, others in storage places. So
0: that's awesome, Mike. Well, you know, I that's. <laughs> My girlfriend has OCD. She'd go crazy if I had 75 guitars. She'd be like, what are you doing? You don't need all these guitars. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, you know, I know. I I thank. I want to thank you for coming on. Um, I know you're playing in Atlantic City. Uh, I looked in October, so I may try to make that because that's only about 45 minutes from my place. Um, so you, you're on Twitter. Do you tweet a lot?
1: I do. I probably tweet more than any other uh, of the media uh, contingencies. So... Um, and you're at I do, and uh, Instagram is is fun because you can just post a picture and you really don't have to say anything so that's cool. Um, but yeah, Mike of the Reich on Twitter. And your and web I, and your website's a very
0: I like I really dig your website and that's uh, people that's michaelwilton.com and go order the beer. You got to order his beer because you know what we all love beer. Beer does a body good. Well, Michael, I want to thank you for coming on. People go follow Mike on Twitter, go to his website michaelwilton. That will link you to everything his uh His Facebook and everything so you can check him out there. Check out the band Queensryche. Check me on Twitter. I'm at CooperTalk. That's at CooperTalk. You can go to my website, coopertalk.net, where I have over 625 episodes. Email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. And also, if you want to start eating healthy, you know, when I had that health problem, I wrote a cookbook. So go stopthesalt.com. You can buy it. It's 120 easy low-sodium recipes so you can get that or you can get it at amazon but if you go to stop the salt i make more money so anyway people listen to mike follow mike listen to Queens uh steve cooper here for walk my mind i'm only as hip as my guest don't forget drink your water eat your vegetables take your vitamins and i'll talk to you next week